0: this has been set up it's it's been a plan of michael's i believe that michael probably thought that and, and maybe hoped that elvis would come back it'd be the greatest comeback in world history and michael probably thought you know except i'm gonna do it except i'm coming back ladies and gentlemen For eight months, I excused everything until I just couldn't do it anymore. And then when I really dug deep into that, it was the, the most incredible story ever told, and I was going to tell it. I'm not into death hoaxes. I'm <laughs> into <It's been> <laughs> Michael Jackson. The story has not been fully told yet. But these are the things that make any logical person say, hmm...
1: And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with another edition of BOA Audio Season 6. That theme music you just heard, for this installment of the program was, of course, provided by our good buddy Pete Diggins. You can check out more of his work at www.rophonic.com. A-U-R-O-P-H-O-N-I-C dot Check it out. No in-house notes this week. No pressing BOA news. So let's just roll on in to this edition of the program. This time around here on the show, we are going to venture into the world of pop conspiracy with our guest, Pearl Jr., who is the creator of the film Alive, Is Michael Jackson Really Dead? Beyond the really amazing material here in the program this week, the cool thing about this show is that you can check out Alive, Is Michael Jackson Really Dead? on Netflix. So all the folks who are listening right now and are Netflix subscribers... You can head on over to their streaming feature and check out Pearl Jr.'s film as a sort of supplement to this episode. What you're going to hear this week, of course, explores the theory that Michael Jackson, the King of Pop, faked his own death. And in this engaging conversation, Pearl Jr. is going to explain how she came to believe that Michael Jackson faked his death and will outline the many aspects of his demise, which raise serious suspicions and suggest that there may be more to the story than the mainstream media has been telling you. We're going to cover the controversies over Jackson's middle name on his death certificate and autopsy, the alleged final photo of MJ in the ambulance before he died. Along the way, we're also going to examine the theory that Michael Jackson was murdered, and we'll ultimately explore why and how Michael Jackson would fake his own death. Now, I know a lot of folks out there are probably rolling their eyes right now, wondering why we would tackle such a controversial, strange, foolhardy topic as the Michael Jackson Death Oaks. Well, all I'm going to ask is that you have an open mind and keep on listening and listen to what Pearl Jr. has to say, and then make up your own mind at the end of the show as to whether Michael Jackson really is dead or alive or Altogether, it is an episode which provides some tantalizing food for thought and, additionally, some water-cooler conversation that will be sure to spook your co-workers as Pearl Jr. joins us to delve into the Michael Jackson death hoax theory. For those of you unfamiliar with Pearl Jr., allow me to provide you with a little background honor. Pearl Jr. is the producer of the film's behind-the-scenes at the Michael Jackson trial, Barack Obama, The Power of Change, Michael Jackson, The Trial and Triumph of the King of Pop, and Alive, Is Michael Jackson Really Dead? She's also the author of the book Pseudocide, Did Michael Jackson Fake His Death to Save His Life, and she has served as a credentialed reporter for Michael Jackson's 2005 child molestation trial and is currently covering the involuntary manslaughter trial of Dr. Conrad Murray. Her website is www.michaeljacksoninsider.com. Pretty simple, all one word, michaeljacksoninsider.com. Check it out. With all that said, my friends, let's get down to business and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on September 26, 2011. Pearl Jr. talking about the Michael Jackson death hoax on BOA Audio Season 6. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of BOA Audio Season 6. And we have got a very compelling program for you here this week. Very excited about this one. Our guest is Pearl Jr., and she is the woman behind the film Alive. Is Michael Jackson Really Dead? As well as the e-movie book titled Pseudocide, Did Michael Jackson Fake His Death to Save His Life? And her website is michaeljacksoninsider.com, and she's put together a pretty fascinating and thought-provoking case here that uh, what we all saw play out in the media back in late June of 2009 with the death of Michael Jackson really wasn't the whole story, and that there is a really amazing story that's going on that, of course... A lot of the world hasn't heard about yet, but we're going to get into all that here tonight on the program. I'm very excited about this. I've seen the movie. Alive is Michael Jackson really dead? A couple of times. Watched it this summer on Netflix and was like, I have got to talk to Pearl Junior. Sometime soon. And then when I knew we were going to tape this interview, I sat down and watched the movie again. Still very compelling stuff. I actually watched it. Had my mother in the room, so it's a good litmus test. And by the end of the movie. She was looking at things a lot differently, so uh, I can't recommend this enough. I mean, this really – I know a lot of folks out there probably rolling their eyes. Give it a chance, folks, because there is some tremendous information in here and a lot of stuff that will really make you go, hmm, you're going to learn about a lot of that here tonight. Welcome to the program, Pearl. It is a pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to be here, Tim. I'm glad to be talking about the other side of the story.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. i I had sort of, you know – figured that this, like you said, other side of the story was out there, but I hadn't heard it, you know, put all together until I saw your movie. So it was like, wow, you know, there is this camp out there that thinks this, and they've they've really put together some amazing material here to, to give you some food for thought. Before we sort of get into this story, let's talk about Pearl Jr. Give us a little bit of a bio, a background, you know, who is Pearl Jr., and how did you get mixed up in all this?
0: Well, um, I'm an activist. I'm an author. I write books. I'm, you know, a professional corporate woman in, cor- in quit corporate America, pretty much, to start my own production company, become an author, and change the world. Well, I ended up in the world of Michael Jackson. I landed a, a, a media credential for the 2005 child molestation trial through a series of events. And here in Los Angeles, which is where I'm from, I had a TV show called True Talk, Straight Out of L.A. That was avail- that we produced. We paid for the airtime and did everything, and that qualified me to be uh, credentialed media, and that was just the most craziest thing that ever happened. It wasn't pre-planned. It wasn't anything premeditated. It just happened and I ended up there. And I learned, uh, so much about the king of pop. And one of the most important things that I've, I've learned is that he is no child molester. I mean, I couldn't believe that there was no evidence there, just hearsay from people that were pretty much proven to be, uh, sharks and manipulators and con artists, grifters, you know, and, uh, Michael Jackson, another thing Michael Jackson is a heterosexual male we learned that by seeing his 10-year stock of Playboy and Hustler and all the (laughs) magazines that men have you know with his fingerprints and all DNA (laughs) oh boy (laughs) oh boy all that stuff so Michael Jackson is a regular heterosexual and has no interest in having sex with little boys or little girls or anything like that and I got to know the man uh, uh, from, a, from an insider point of view, instead of just as a fan, of course I was a fan growing up, loving the Jackson 5 and Michael Jackson, and um, kind of fell off and then ended up back there. So I have now I've been in the world of Michael Jackson for uh, six years now, and uh, we did stop for a moment and produce a documentary on Barack Obama called The Power of Change, and then we've produced um, or co-produced four documentaries on Michael Jackson.
1: Yeah, this is your production company, Elbow Grease Productions, right?
0: Absolutely, yes. Mhm.
1: And and you know, I gotta I like I said uh, before we, we got into the interview, I gotta ask just to just so I don't get the questions about why I didn't what's what's the nature of the name Pearl Junior? It's very sort of uh, different. Is this like an artistic thing or is this uh, what's the connection here? It's real.
0: Um, I have the same exact name as my mom. Okay. And my mother and father had three girls in a row, and my father was hoping for a boy, and he wanted to name him Junior after him. <laughs> but I came out a girl, and so my mom named me Junior after her. And so it's real unique that you have a girl named Junior. So when I became an author, you know, you need to find interesting ways to stand out, um, you know, from the rest. And I just cut some things out, and I became Pearl Junior.
1: So that's good see otherwise that would that would be I'd be wondering about that for like the rest of my life so we got that cleared up so before we sort of get into the the Michael Jackson death hoax talk a little bit about what it was like covering the trial because as you pointed out, It seems like it really just didn't add up and obviously Michael Jackson was found not guilty and what I find ironic too is that after he died or, you know, as you, as you would say after he hoaxed his death, it seemed like the media completely did a complete 180 on, on the trial and everything and uh, accepted the, that he wasn't guilty on all of it. It was very sort of weird in that sense, you know, when somebody dies that the, the the media changes yeah, it, their it tune does, all of
0: a sudden. It, when someone passes it, it does make you very sympathetic, but the facts, you know, when you think about the facts and you learn what happened, and we produced a documentary called Michael Jackson, The Trial and Triumph of the King of Pop, in which we tell the facts of the story, and we tell you what the media, big media wigs left out, and uh, one of the, the most important things that happened in 93, a lot of people think Michael paid for that, and there was been research saying that, that Michael's insurance Insurance paid that twenty million dollars, and the kid has come out um uh reportedly and said michael never touched him and 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 so way back from 93, it was a lie. And then the the allegations 10 years later in 2003 was nothing but a copycat. It was kind of like a family of grifters who wanted to hit Michael at his Achilles heel. And they just copycatted and figured he would pay. And um, he said, no, I'm fighting it. And he was just tired of everybody just dogging him. Michael's a really super nice guy. Really all he wanted to do was entertain people. And his life got complicated, so complicated, When all he really wanted to do was sing, dance, and make people happy, you know. And then later in life, he wanted to create film. And we pretty much called the media out on uh, how they made him guilty before even the trial started, and how uh, you know the executives and media companies picked and choose what information to cover. But uh, Michael and the girly magazines, and Michael, and and no proof whatsoever. And another thing, you know, and I don't want to cycle analyze this too much, but. All the kids that Michael hung out with, none of them grew up to be gay. All of them are heterosexual, womanizing, love girls type of boys, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if that is, is is a sign, you know, that Michael wasn't, wooing these boys and making these boys fall in love with them, and then, you know, uh, having sex, you know, with him. Um, you know that it, it never happened. And all the kids came in. All the other boys that he hung out with said, "Michael never touched me." Call Macaulay Caulkin, you know, um, uh, Wade, this other guy that was a dancer, and, and then there was this one kid that came and said, "Michael tickled him," and they tried to blackmail him. And then, you know, they Tom Mezzaro who did a great job as Michael' defense attorney, pretty much proved that that was set up by Diane Diamond, who was Michael's, you know, uh, she hated Michael, and she was pretty much the ringleader for the media to believe that he was guilty, and she paid this woman $20,000 and had her lie in a hotel room in downtown Los Angeles, you know, so it, it, it was really kind of tragic and, and very, very, very sad that someone who wanted to make the world a better place and who wanted to, you know, just create you know, a happy place, especially for children. He figured, you know, if children were more loved, they would grow up to be nicer adults. And that was his answer to world peace. It may sound naive and silly, but in his mind, that that made sense to him.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because I had seen some excerpts from the Aphrodite Jones book, too, that's like, you know, the, the mainstream media, they were sort of, they wanted Michael Jackson to be found guilty because th- that was like a cash cow that would keep Producing more and more material for them over and over and over again. Michael Jackson in jail, jailhouse right. interviews, all, you right. know, people would give insider accounts on what he was like in jail. Yeah. It was like they had plans for years and years and years of material to glean off of, of his misfortune.
0: And Aphrodite, you know, is a good friend of mine, and and I met her during the 2005 trial, and she was anti-Michael during the trial. And one time they were – she came in, and she was sunken down in her seat, and she decided to sit next to me for whatever reason right before trial started. And I said, what's wrong? She said, they're calling me bitch, bitch, bitch. And I said, well, I mean, you're out there, you know, saying that Michael's guilty and not presenting the proper facts. What do you expect? And then I was done, you know. And uh, after the trial, she – Called me and she said, um, "I want to have a meeting with you." And she said, "I saw your documentary, and you know, and I have to admit that I was wrong, and you know, I want to make up for this." And, and that really shows a stand-up person to admit she was wrong. And she said, "I'm gonna, you know, tell the truth about what happened." And she thanks me in her book. She gives me credit for giving her the courage to move ahead and tell the truth and to write the book. So I'm really proud of her for having the guts to admit she was wrong and and, and to write. That
1: wrong. Now, did you get the chance ever to meet Michael? Uh, you know, in, in the I guess it would be about four years or so that you, you know, were sort of back in the well. mix before he allegedly passed away.
0: Well, in certain circumstances, I would, it's hard to answer that, because I'll, the safe one is to say no. But that's, it would not be absolutely accurate. Um, I have, um, been in close contact with his publicist, with his manager, with me and Michael have talked through people to each other, through airways, uh, lots of different ways, and it was the weirdest thing on Carrowwood, which is the house in which they think he died in, where he disappeared in, and, uh, Um, A a friend of mine that I had met at the 2005 trial, she owns Star Maps, and she sells maps to Star's home. Anyway, she had been on that corner for 10 years, and I couldn't believe it. She called me one day, and she said, Pearl, what does Grace look like? And Grace was the children's nanny, and I was like, girl, Michael is not moving in that house. Stop (laughs) tripping. You are Michael. You are all Michaeled out, and, and Michael actually moved into that house, so I had an excuse and a reason to uh, hang out at that house. And Michael would come out and I would videotape and he would say hi to the fans and hi and stuff like that. So I was very aware. I had been to that house where fans literally camped out outside of his house. I had been there the day before, the 24th I was down there, um, 24th the day before the death announcement, and uh, I saw Dr. Murray's car leave at three o'clock in the afternoon that day, which is kind of weird if he stayed overnight all the time. And the fans did not tell me that a doctor had been spending the night until the day before. And I, and I asked them, I said, well, how long has the doctor been spending the night? And they said 10 days. And then when I go to the preliminary hearing, I'm hearing that he's, been getting Proprovol shipped to his baby mama's house, his his girlfriend's house, since April 6th, and I'm wondering why didn't a fan tell me? The fans would tell me a lot of stuff that would go on because they trusted me because I was one of the only people during the trial that really stood up for the truth and really went against the system and, and, and really uh, stuck to the, si- the side of justice and truth and honor and, and 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 just having some, you know, dignity in what you do.
1: And, and, you know, I was trying to convey this to a cousin of mine who's young. He's like 12 years old. A lot of people don't you know, for the younger listeners, I'm in my early 30s, so I kind of, you know, was, was young myself sort of in when Michael Jackson peaked. But it's like it's hard for people in this 24-7 news cycle, Internet age, to really fathom just how massive Michael Jackson was in, you know, at, at his peak in the 80s yes. and early 90s. And, and obviously still up until the time of his death, but it was a different sort of a fame. It was, a, you know, right. an unfortunate Infinite. sort of infamy. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But even during... You know, the the, the peak there it was, like, unbelievable. Like, it's hard to even put into words. Like, imagine, like, Lady Gaga times a thousand. I mean, that's, like, as Absolutely. close as you can go. Yes. I mean, he, he was that big. And, and it was this was back in the day when, you know, you wouldn't really get celebrity coverage on TV as much as you do now, not nearly as much. And it was, like, all Michael Jackson all the time uh, when he was at his peak. So it was and no a different internet. world. Exactly. No
0: internet back then either. Mm -hmm.
1: Exactly. Now let's fast forward to June 25th, 2009. Where were you when you heard the news that Michael Jackson had died? And at what point did you start to think there's more to this story than we're being told?
0: I was at UCLA Hospital, Um, Linda, the map lady who sells house, she called me two minutes after the ambulance went into the house and she said, Pearl, you know, an ambulance just went into Michael's house and I was like, oh my God, what could could it be? And, uh, you know, then she had to, she she called some other fans, Michael's publishers. I think she even tried to call Joe and inform the family that an ambulance at the house, now I'm the first person in the world, news agency, to tweet that something was wrong at the house. I tweeted it at 1243 and it took me a few minutes because I didn't want to alarm the fan base prematurely. So all I tweeted was an ambulance just went into Michael's house. Don't know what for. I was thinking maybe the gardener cut himself or something. The last thing I was imagining that Michael Jackson could be in distress. Mm -hmm. Now because I was just there the day before like I said and the fans told me Michael was fine. I saw the choreographer go inside the gate. Um, I saw Dr. Murray leave and I didn't know who Dr. Murray was. I didn't have any idea until on the news a day or two later they showed his car being towed from there. And I was like, oh my God, there's his car. That's the same car that I saw leave. So I was under the impression on the 24th that Michael was fine. So I immediately got dressed after I got the phone call and I talked to a few other people. I called Joe. His message was full. I called uh, Michael's brother, Randy. And um, and I was trying to get in touch with the family, uh, saying that, you know, an ambulance is at the house, but of course they already knew. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to go to the house. I'm almost there and uh, Linda's assistant called and said, Pearl, go to UCLA, the ambulance just left, go to UCLA. And I hadn't yet, so it wasn't a detour or anything. I was still on my way because uh, UCLA and Michael's house are only a few minutes away. Yeah. So I went ahead and went to UCLA. And when I got to UCLA, it was quiet. I only saw one fan there. Uh, the SUVs were there, two dark blue SUVs. One of them still had on their hazard lights and and um and I was looking around for people and I found, saw, saw one girl named Talithia and I just fell in her arms and said, what's going on, what's happening? And she said, it's not good. And then I just watched the crowd swell and uh, people, friends and the media and everyone was calling asking me what was going on and is he okay? I saw Catherine go into the hospital and I just watched the crowd swell. My cell phone lost the charge, which was horrible. <laughs> um, then I was interviewed by media sources, and at that time it was either a coma. Then it became he was uh, he died of cardiac arrest. And I remember saying, if he died of cardiac arrest, he died of a broken heart, because the world really did break the heart of Michael Jackson. And uh, um, then um, you know I heard that he had died, and I was just absolutely devastated. And later on that day, I did a radio interview about it, and um, and it took me probably um about eight months to really say okay I, I'm, I'm surrendering to the death hoax <laughs> <laughs> I had fought the death hoax because I am a sensible person I am someone who doesn't believe in, in conspiracies easily um, without proof and without knowledge um, I did the first thing people say is oh yeah just like Elvis you know and that's a natural reaction and even Cecil who is my fiance and my business partner I would have to be on the phone with whispering because he thought I was crazy, you know, talking about the clues of the Death Hoax. And then in in his library, in his collection of books, guess what I find? It's Elvis Alive book, right? (laughs) okay is Elvis alive and that's why the book is in the documentary because we had that book in our library and um, then I just decided after eight months and I could no longer excuse the multitude of clue after clue and inconsistency and things that didn't make sense and the setups and the evidence and you know it just all was just overwhelming and fans were calling me asking me to check into it please Pearl listen to us please please and then I decided um, eight months later when I had looked up um, this website domains, I went into the website domains and there was a website domain called uh, comebackmichaeljackson.com and Michael Jackson Comeback. And one of them was registered on June 25th, 2009, which is awfully peculiar. Why would Comeback Michael Jackson be registered on the day he died? And then Michael Jackson Comeback was registered on Valentine's Day in 2007. And Michael made a point and this is it to say it's all for love L-O-V-E, and that became kind of the uh, part of the promo package, it's all for love, L-O-V-E. And if you know anything about Michael Jackson, he loves clues and practical jokes and pranks and all that stuff. So um, at that point, I just decided to dive into the death hoax and write the book, Suicide, and read the, e, the Is Elvis Alive book, and, I'm, and three quarters of the way through it, I threw the book across the room and went, no way, because it was exactly the same story. I could not believe all the parallels. It was as if Michael followed that book like the holy grail. Like, you know, it was unbelievable. And I read that book in one day. And then I started writing the book, Suicide. And I've been a believer ever since.
1: You make a compelling case in the film. So, I mean, I can't, you know, the the jury's out, I guess you could say for me. Uh, And before (laughs) I was, you know, I looked at the thing on Netflix and I was like, what is this? This is, this, you know,
0: this is stupid. This is silly, old brother. I don't call
1: anything stupid. I've been doing this too long to think anything is stupid at this point. But I, it was, it was like, well, this is outreach, I guess, the best way to put it. But yeah. after I seen the film, it was like, well, you know, there's a lot there that's that that's pretty interesting. Now, yeah. maybe we should start with the biggest dog, I guess you could say, or the best, the best nugget. What really stands out to you as as sort of the, the real wow clue in the whole in the whole mythos here of, of the death host?
0: I'll give you the one that I thought was the biggest at that time because we are dealing with a, two, uh, a, a span of over two years. Mm-hmm. It was Joe Jackson's behavior. Um, uh, Joe Jackson raised those boys and took those boys on tour. He was the one that traveled with those boys. He was the one that protected those boys. He's the one that disciplined those boys. He is the one that had must have had the perfect mix of encouragement and discipline you know, because if he just beat them and they were scared to death, they sure wouldn't have turned out all that great music that we we know that the Jacksons have done. And uh, Michael and Janet and all the rest of the family sure wouldn't have turned into very giving, charitable people. Um, so Joe Jackson's behavior uh, was very nonchalant, and I kept waiting for Joe to lose it. And, and you know, pretty much fall apart, and he never did. And one, one Joe did fall apart at the 2005 trial that I witnessed there was a, an announcement of a false verdict that came in and Joe was at the car wash and somebody called Joe and panicked and said there was a verdict or something. And Joe raced to the the, the, uh, the, the courtroom in Santa Maria and he was moving his way through the crowd and he was trembling and he was shaking. He was like, move out of my way. Where's my son? Where's my son? And he was just frantic. And you could see a father's, you know, straight panic that you know, cause none of Joe's boys were going to jail, period. And, and Joe's boys were not joining gangs, and Joe's kids were, were gonna be successful, and Michael, and Joe was absolutely a mess, and he was gonna pretty much tear anybody apart if they tried to take Michael from him. Mm -hmm. And once I saw that, I knew the love that Joe had for his children, his family, and especially Michael. Anyway, Joe never lost it, and I've had many, many, many conversations with Joe. I think I've talked to Joe more than any other family member. And Joe just seemed to be kind of like, yeah, well, you know, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and uh, so I knew something was up then. Now the biggest clue to this day now is uh, the fact that there's still no name on the grave. Over two years later, there is still no name on the grave. And to follow that up, they're not. Michael uh, is not listed in the Forest Lawn database. Mm-hmm. And the grave is tucked away so nobody can really see that there's no name on the grave. <laughs> and I had called Forest Line, uh a month after the, uh, fu- the, the funeral that they had, the burial, September 11th. I mean, excuse me, September 3rd. And uh, I called in October of 2009, and I asked, you know, fans had told me, Forrest Lawn is denying that Michael's there. And Forrest Lawn, I said, Well, where's Michael's uh, grave? And they said, Look, we don't have Michael's body and we've never had it. That is what Forrest Lawn told me. Then wow. I talked to some Forrest Lawn people just recently and they told me that uh, on the burial, September 3rd, I remember that because it was a temptation song, September th- the day my daddy died, it was, you know, st- September 3rd. So that's why I remember it's a temptation song. Okay. But anyway, he. Um, uh, uh they said that no personnel worked that day except executives. Everybody had to take the day off, okay? Nobody was allowed on those grounds. It was secure, and, the, the, you know, even the lady at Forest Lawn is like, yeah, something weird is happening with this death of Michael Jackson. <laughs> so that that's the biggest clue to me is no proof of the burial. And then we can go on and on, no yeah. open casket, the ambulance photos fake, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, but Well we'll get into all that as we go along here. Now, that, what, sure. what I find interesting, so they're saying that the body's not there at all.
0: They had told me in October 2009, they told me, we don't have Michael's body, and we've never had it.
1: Wow. See, that's, that's revelatory. I mean, yes. you can't even put words to that. That's strange.
0: And that still didn't sell me. you got to remember, that's June, July, August, September, October. That's four months. I wasn't convinced until February.
1: Right, right. Well, I'm going to throw some devil's advocate, you know, points oh, here actually, as Please we go do. along. Cause, I mean, what if part of me thinks, you know, that I, I, I guess, you know, I, I come from having seen all this sort of play out in the media, and I've seen Joe Jackson sort of get this bum rap as, as this jerk. So to me, it, it, you know, my Skeptical mind says, well, you know, maybe he sees the opportunity out of that comes out of the death of his son here uh, that, that they're going to be able to really develop this into their own cottage industry. And so that sort of c- colors his perspective. And, and maybe the, the family's got the body and they're planning on doing something, you know, Elvis-esque with it and turning Neverland into, into sort of the Graceland of the West, if you will. Well,
0: then tell us that. <laughs> Don't lie, you know. Yeah. And have, you know, fa- you know, flowers sent up to Forest Lawn and all this stuff. You know, say, you know, Michael is in a you know, we buried him somewhere else. But they've they've led us to believe that he's buried there. I mean, that's what you know, that's so they've true. had a memorial there, they've had three ceremonies and at none of the ceremonies was the casket ever opened, and I like to add that Catherine nor Joe have seen the dead body.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: Jermaine and LaToya supposedly have and some few other people, but Catherine and Joe have, have not ever said that they've seen Michael's body dead.
1: Well, now, I was going to get into this towards the end of the interview, but I feel like I want to ask it now, so we're just going to get into sure. this. Now, have you – you know, you're putting this story out there. Obviously, it's around on the Internet and everything, but you've really sort of uh, put it all together in an amazing way. Have you heard from – you know, and you don't have to name names or or get too specific here, but have you heard from either family members or close associates who sort of say, you know, on the sly to you, Hey Pearl, you're on the right track or you're or even dissuading you from it and saying, Hey Pearl, you know, you gotta let it go, he's gone or something like that. Have you heard any reaction really from the, the Michael Jackson camp?
0: Well, um, the insiders that work for the Jacksons, um, when I did my first book, Suicide, Did Michael Jackson Fake His Death to Save His Life in May 2010, Michael's manager, Ramon K. Bain, who was his. Before, you know, all the This Is It Manager with Leonard Roll and Frank Delio, she was his manager and she was his publicist from 2003, I believe, to 2008, the end of 2008. And um, she, when I, she had a radio show and she called me and had me introduce the book, Suicide. <laughs> <laughs> on a radio show, okay, um, and I thought that that was very odd timing, and you know stuff like that. um I would not ever put the Jacksons in a situation where I would make it very uncomfortable for them, so I wouldn't ask because if the 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 modus operandi is Michael is dead, I mean, what do I expect? I mean, am I an idiot they're gonna they're gonna be the ones that reveal that Michael isn't, um, but I've had conversations with uh, the Jackson Family publicists about the death hoax, long, long conversations about it. Um, I've had, um, after my book, Suicide came out, I was asked um, to um, help promote this event called Mike, um, Forever Michael, in which Catherine and Tito were, you know, it's for Catherine's book, Never Can Say Goodbye, and Tito performed, and Genevieve, Randy's, son, Randy's daughter, performed, and the family was there, so I've been involved in Jackson family events, and I wouldn't dare put them on the spot because it's a wink, wink, nod, nod thing, so I cannot say that they've ever told me that Michael's not dead. I can just tell you situations in which which they've involved me, okay? Yeah, okay. Um, um, So, you know, you you, kind of know what to do. And then uh, there was one incident with Jermaine. And I think, and and it was funny, the timing of this, Jermaine has come out and said that Michael is dead. And he told that to the death hoax community. And uh, then two days later, Jermaine releases the cover of his book. And then uh, within that same week, he pays off his child support, you know. And then Jermaine says, oh, don't worry, believers, we're all one. We all love Michael. So he kind of recanted. All that. And then in Jermaine's book, uh, one of the, the heartbeat of the death hoax community is the middle name, which is kind of like from the Elvis thing A- Elvis Aaron Presley, 1A or 2A's, and that's why people didn't believe uh, that Elvis was really dead because of the middle, the wrong spelling of the middle name. Now, with Michael, his middle name is Michael Joe Jackson. Yeah. And um, all the death documents have Michael Joseph Jackson. And in Jermaine's book, even though Jermaine talks about his brother and his brother being dead, there's a wink, wink, nod, nod on page 43 in which Jermaine says, I don't know where the rumor came from that Michael's middle name is Joseph, his middle name is Joe, as on his birth certificate. So, you know, and and that's to us believers that uh, we know. We know what that means because the death certificate, the autopsy, the will, the Even the estate has Michael Joseph Jackson, so there's a lot of weird things going on because, you know, his real name is Michael Joe. So, correct it. The autopsy says that the body was identified by a driver's license. I mean, come on, please. You know, Michael has one of the biggest families in the world. <laughs> you know, and it's identified by the. And where did he get the driver's license from? He was supposed to be in a hospital gown and pretty much nude, you know. So, where, you know, what pocket did he have the driver's license in? <laughs> And his driver's license says Michael Joe Jackson. So does his passport? Um, even the passport that is still yet to expire has Michael Joe Jackson on it. So why if they if the if they identified Michael with the autopsy with the driver's license, why does the autopsy say Michael Joseph Jackson?
1: Well that's the that's the million dollar question here. Is that if it's a death hoax, do you think it's some kind of like legal way of sort of circumventing the legalities of it, or like, what is yes. what would be the reasoning behind
0: that? Yes, I do believe that. I totally, totally, because during the 2005 trial, Tom Snedden, who was the prosecutor, who want, who really much, pretty much stalked Michael, and you know, was obsessed with you know taking michael down uh discovered um, before the trial began but during all the preliminary stuff that michael's middle name was joe so you'll see preliminary hearing documents under the name of michael joe Jack- the the uh the people versus michael Joseph Jackson, and then you find out that it's changed to the People versus Michael Joe Jackson, and the FBI even confirmed that Michael's middle name is Michael Joe Jackson. His name is Joe. His middle. Catherine has confirmed uh, that his middle name is Michael Joe Jackson. Joe has confirmed it. Latoya has confirmed it. Jermaine has confirmed it. His name is Michael Joe Jackson. So you know. So maybe all the stuff with Joseph, maybe that is the dead body's name. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, and just to sort of put a, a little clarification on it for people who are listening, you know, it's like, and 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 that all of the documents surrounding the death have the middle name as Michael Joseph Jackson.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and that's not his name. His name is Michael Joe Jackson. Mhm.
1: Very weird. Very weird. Now, I found it interesting too that in the movie you point out that there was actually. I guess you could say a, a previous Michael Jackson death hoax um, on Christmas Day of two thousand and eight. So about, li- actually, literally six months before,
0: absolutely
1: the the uh, the you know the alleged death um, from some DJ who who claimed that Michael Jackson had died on Christmas uh, Day of a
0: drug overdose. Exactly six months prior. Come on. Yeah, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, yes, and then I researched who the owners of this radio station are, and they were two brothers that uh, owned the station in Santa Maria, which is where Michael's from, where Neverland is. Isn't that odd? Dun, 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 dun.
1: <laughs> interesting, interesting. So maybe this was something that was floated out there to either test the waters or, yeah. or, or or what. Who knows?
0: It was absolutely set out there to test the waters. This has been set up. It's It's been a plan of Michael's. I believe that Michael probably thought that and, and maybe hoped that Elvis would come back. It would be the greatest comeback in world history. And Michael probably thought, you know, except I'm going to do it, except I'm coming back. <laughs> Elvis didn't, you know, he's going to one up Elvis, you know, he's going to one up the Beatles. he's going to one up, Michael's going to be the greatest, Michael is one ambitious dude.
1: Interesting. Well, we're going to get into that if he's going to come back and and uh, what you think of all that in, in a little bit cuz I I'm interested in in that cuz uh, obviously this was, that would be one of the biggest stories of all time if uh, if Michael Jackson returned. Um, and who else could do it? I know. I know. <laughs> and and w- another thing I found interesting from the film was the the alleged last photo in the ambulance. Uh you make a fantastic case that that this is a, a fake and I never even you know, it may have trickled out later after the fact that it was a fake, um, but I never really heard that. I, I Until I saw your film, I was under the impression that that picture of him in the ambulance with the neck brace and the and the, and the mask on for breathing <laughs> was a legitimate photo until I saw the film. And then I was like, well, that that really was the one that kind of turned the corner for me as I was watching the movie where I sort of sat up in my seat and said, I got to start really giving this more credence than I thought. So talk a little bit about that whole thing.
0: Yeah, even, uh, Joe Jackson's attorney, Brian Oxman, who's been a family attorney of the Jacksons for over 20 years, and I know Brian, uh, he, he even said it's a fake, you know. And why would you fake it? I mean, what would be the point of faking it? You know, um, the guys who had already traveled and took a lot of pictures of Michael national photo Group, you know they're there is well documented that they photographed Michael for more than ten years, and um then you got a you know the picture of a guy taking a picture of the ambulance and and then you know the, the the other thing that makes the ambulance real fake, and when I went to the preliminary hearing, this is when i I discovered this. The 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 EMTs you could only see their hand in the back of their head, you know their faces are not in the photo, <laughs> and um, and so when I went and I saw the preliminary hearing, this is after I finished producing a live is Michael Jackson really dead, and after you know suicide had been out for six seven months, um, I went back and I looked at the photo. I was like, look at that, they were. Smart enough not to put the EMT's faces in the photo. How coincidental and convenient is that? Um, yeah, it comes from a picture of Michael laying on the floor at a concert. And what they do nowadays, Photoshop is so easy, and and technology is really pretty fascinating, what one can do with technology. And there was a picture of that picture um, on an EMT official website, except for the real victim, their face was blotched out. And so I guess... Um, And then also the EMT guys, one of them used to work for the Beverly Hills Fire Department. Now he's a trainer, and this picture came from a training website. ah, ah, (laughs) The coincidences just get wilder and wilder, and they just superimpose that picture there, and then it looks like Michael had a neck brace on, and then if you look at the balloon, it's not really over the full mouth and the nose, and uh, you know, it's just, it, it just gets ridiculous once you, and then there's a vein. You can see the vein, you know, you know, he's, the veins were supposed to be collapsed. He, both be dead at the house but in another thing Dr. Murray refuses to allow the EMT to um pronounce Michael dead in that house and uh and refused to sign the death certificate as well. So at UCLA this Dr Rochelle Cooper who one of the fans sent me her medical license and it says M for male but I know she's a female was there when she testified and uh um she had to pronounce him dead you know because Dr Murray refused to.
1: Yeah. Interesting very very weird stuff and uh see it just goes to show you that what you see in the mainstream media, oftentimes the corrections end up on page Z or something like that. Like I said, they they may have cleared up this whole thing about the photo. Uh, that I never. I've heard never
0: of. seen any major media clear up about the photo. The fan base, Michael Jackson fan base, it's well known. You know, even Brian Oxman and a lot of people have said it was fake. So you know, there's enough information if anybody wants to uh, search it out on the internet that it is fake. And everything that I I, I, I say, I do provide evidence and proof in that movie and also in the suicide e-movie book as well.
1: Right, right. Now, talk a little bit about the Elvis death hoax. Are you a believer in this or is this something that you think Michael just was inspired by the, you know, the, the mythos of that?
0: I think he was just inspired by him. I'm not into death hoaxes. <laughs> I'm into Michael Jackson. Okay. You know, and there are some bizarre things about Elvis' death. And, you know, you could take him or leave it. When I read the book, Is Elvis Alive?, it was pretty interesting, but it, it, it doesn't hold a candle to the, the the plethora, the myriad, the vast amount of Michael Jackson's uh, not-dead information. Yeah. His, his pales in comparison.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's pretty overwhelming stuff. There's a lot in the film that, that it just, it, you just hit us with so much stuff in there that it's like. Wow.
0: And the Suicide e-movie book that was written six months before, uh, it has double the information. Oh, wow. The Suicide, there's more. There's more information I just couldn't I figured I, it was already information overload, and I figured you know for the mainstream people who are seeing this for the first time, I couldn't put everything in there. it would be too long and it would be too complicated. so I just took the best of the best information and put it in there
1: okay, okay, and I thought also uh it was interesting you lay out a lot of clues that are in the film this is it, and especially mm-hmm. the the uh, the thing with Gilda, which I thought was just like really weird. In and of yeah.
0: Itself. Isn't that something? Um, the Gilda movie, uh, the fans had been saying that, you know, it was about a fake death. So, of course, I ordered the movie. They don't have the movie. It's your local blockbuster. So I had to order it. And and I'm not going to take someone on their word. I'm going to double check everything, mm-hmm. you know. And sure enough, the movie has a subplot of a man who fakes his death and comes back. So why else did Michael put that in, in, in This Is It?
1: It's very weird, yeah. For folks who haven't seen the film, there's a there's a, a clip uh, of the film Gilda with Michael superimposed over uh, the lead of the film, and uh, the movie, as as Pearl just told you, is is about a man who fakes his death. So the coincidences are eerie. If they're not, if this isn't a death hoax, this is a, this is just a really creepy, eerie uh, level layer of coincidences here.
0: And then the one that Michael left um, during you know the most famous choreography in the world is Michael Jackson Motown. 25 doing Billy Jean, uh-huh. you know, where he tosses the hat and I mean that's just that's catapulted him to super worldwide stardom that performance even though I always knew what a great Wonderful, talented little boy he was in love with him since I was, you know, six years old. Um, um, but that catapulted him. And so in this is it, he changes the choreography in Billie Jean and he pretty much mimes, I, I'm, I want you to see that I'm going underground. I want you fans to see that I'm going underground. And he's pretty much letting you know. And that's a clue directly from him. And that's in, that's in the a live documentary and in, of course, this of
1: it yeah 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 very very odd stuff now talk a little bit about the uh the, the transport of the body because a lot of strange <laughs> things happen there uh you know where it ostensibly if, if they're moving a dead body it shouldn't be moving as much not just physically moving or, or, or changing you know the uh the way they've got it laid out but as you show in the film uh, you know the 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 way the body is, is prepared, that's the word I was looking for, um, undergoes a, a variety of changes over the course of its journey, uh, I believe, from, from the, maybe the hospital to the metal, medical examiner's office, or I'm not sure exactly the specifics of the journey. From
0: UCLA to the L.A. County coroner's County yeah. County yeah. yeah. Office. So talk a little bit yeah. about
1: that strange journey.
0: Well, you know, all the news cameras, of course, recorded that, and I wasn't home at that time. I was at UCLA, and then I was at KBC Talk Radio doing an interview, so I didn't get to see it live. And uh, um, uh, uh, what happens is you see the body come out of UCLA on top. Now, there was a helicopter that arrived around a little bit before 3 o'clock, and I thought that that was Joe Jackson arriving. I saw it land on the roof. I later learned that they thought they were picking him up, around 3 o'clock but they decided not to. I don't know what that was all about but anyway around 6 o'clock the body comes out of UCLA and it has straps. It's strapped down in white sheets on a gurney and it's rolled into the helicopter and all the major media um, outlets recorded this live and shot it out to the world live and in the helicopter and you got to remember if there's a video of of the helicopter somebody's above the helicopter videotaping the helicopter right (laughs) yeah you see the body move you see it's, it's all in the movie you see the body move and then when they land the helicopter and they're getting the body out and they're taking the body from the helicopter to the actual coroner's truck you see that it comes out without any straps And the body bag, it's not a body bag, it's like sheets because it's tied at the top. What the heck is all that about?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very weird. Very weird. And the
0: coroner did say later on, um, I did confirm with the coroner that they received Michael's body, at least that's what they say, around 6 o'clock. So they didn't get it at 3. They got it at 6. So it's all just so bizarre. I mean, nothing. I mean, what went right? I mean, nothing. The surveillance videos are missing from Michael's house. The police erased the surveillance videos on June 25th. Are you kidding me?
1: Well, now, I'm going to use – I'm going to go back to the devil's advocate point of view here just uh, briefly and ask, you know, maybe maybe you know, the the point of view of the family here is that Michael Jackson's dead. He dies. This is the day he dies. And, and they desperately want to avoid um, an Elvis-like National Enquirer situation where – Why?
0: would they? <laughs>
1: because they don't want, you know, they don't want the photo of his dead body getting out there, and maybe they just stand against that sort of thing. I don't I know. I probably wouldn't either if I well, was – You, you mean,
0: like, open casket?
1: Yeah, or, you know, someone from the medical examiner's office sneaks a picture and sells it to TMZ or something like that. So they they had to be, like, ultra-secure about transporting the body or something like that. I'm just – like I said, sure. I'm just throwing out here the devil's sure. advocate perspective.
0: Sure, of course. What's yeah. your
1: what, – what do you think about that theory? <laughs>
0: Well, um, yeah, that's what I did for eight months. I excused everything. (laughs) You know, oh, it's just this. Oh, it's just that. Oh, it's just this. Oh, it can't be. Oh, it's just you're imagining. Oh, you know. And then eventually, it's just so much information that stacks on top of stacks to where, you know, you just can't ignore it anymore. Um, The family, you're right. um, Elvis did have an open casket, though. Okay, yeah, and um, uh, some people thought it was a wax figure because the casket weighed nine hundred pounds, and they thought an air conditioner was in there, so it wouldn't melt in August's heat in the heat of August, um, but with Michael, there was no open casket whatsoever, um, so i I don't know what the family was thinking, what was going on. Of course, you don't want to be morbid, but Michael was not injured. You know what I mean? It wasn't like he died in a car crash and he was mangled or, you know, he had been out of the public eye for years and he just looked awful. We see, this is it. The performances and This Is It were recorded on the 23rd and 24th. So we know what Michael looks like the day before the announcement that he died. We know. We have video proof of what he looks like the 23rd and 24th. So Michael looked great, and if he's fell asleep if he died in his sleep, he looked great.
1: Right, right. I don't mean necessarily that, that there would be like an exploitative uh picture of something gruesome. I just mean, you know, that maybe they just didn't want someone taking you know what I mean? How it's like of course even the media is they're possible. always trying to mm-hmm. get well look at the look at the, the fake picture from the ambulance. It's kinda of like the same thing. It's it's right. you know, so one one picture like that got out, whether it was legit or not, obviously you're you know, we're saying here that it's fake, but you know what I'm saying uh, with regards to the question. It's just sort yeah, but of like me. The, the
0: crazy thing is, that's the only picture they got out. Right. It's fake.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the point. Okay. The uh, media is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: Yeah, you'd think it would stand a reason that the media would have gotten other pictures. So it's either there was and
0: why? And you know, the cameras today click, 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 click. They take ten pictures in a second. You know, and why was there only you know that picture? You know, and then there there is another picture of the ambulance where um, things are moved just a little bit. You know, but them being professional re- recording Michael, there should have been, you know, a, a whole film of them. Click, 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 click. You know, if you get one, you should have ten. Yeah. Mm hmm.
1: So why do you think that then? That, that.
0: Well, because it's fake. The picture's fake. It, it, it's, it's been proven that the picture is fake. So there's no, there's no picture of Michael Jackson in distress or dead that exists. Now, with the, with the hearing that's coming, and I am going to be credentialed media, um, to cover the Conrad Murray involuntary manslaughter trial, they're supposed to be showing a few autopsy pictures. Now, there was a movie, uh, that's autopsy, uh, Michael Jackson, uh, that the fans had protested, and it was supposed to air in Europe somewhere, and they decided not to. Well, Anyway, in the, with this movie that didn't air, there's this, supposed to be this body of Michael Jackson dead, you know, half bald, and this, that, and the other, and they, they released the dummy of a dead Michael Jackson picture. So I don't know what we're going to see in court and what the autopsy pictures are going to show. I have no idea.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we'll get into we'll get into that in a minute. Now, that kind of what you're saying here about Conrad Murray does lead sort of to what you say in the film that the MJ fans there's a couple of camps involved here. The 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 camp that you're a part of, which is the death hoax, and then there's the camp that says that he was just murdered and right and you know murdered for financial gain, ostensibly by all the people that stood to gain from his death, who had control over all the recordings and the library and everything else that. uh you know his massive estate. So, what are you, what's your take on the on the murder theory? Because clearly,
0: well, that has a little if, more
1: mainstream traction, obviously, with this trial and and sort of uh, the suspicions that people have.
0: If Michael Jackson is dead then I believe he was murdered because the death is just the most stupidest, ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. You have a doctor that's supposed to be watching you while you're under an anesthetic, okay, a dangerous anesthetic. Anybody can look up diprovan, Propoval, they're the same thing. And within the first paragraph, it says it stops your breathing. Right. You know, so the first thing you do, now Michael, he's been giving Michael this for three months. He got it delivered. The first shipment went out April 6, 2009, and all the way to, you know, June 25th when they said he died, so all of April, May, June, and you don't have the proper resuscitation equipment? Please tell me you're kidding me, okay? Then uh, uh, Dr. Murray doesn't know CPR. He's giving it to him on a bed, a soft surface. This this is not just an MD. This is a cardiologist that knows every organ of the body and knows how they work and what supports what and what's connected to what. There's no way that you don't know that the heart and the it needs to have support and you need to do it on a soft, uh, hard surface. Then Dr. Murray, and I'm in the preliminary hearing and I hear this under oath, says to one of the security, um, "I gave Michael CPR, but I don't mind." he's a friend. What doctor says a mouth-to-mouth resuscitation? What doctor is making a disclaimer about germs or homophobia or whatever by saying, yeah, I didn't mind giving him mouth-to-mouth, he was a friend? I mean... That's just (laughs) weird. Yeah. A doctor would not say that. When someone's under distress, a doctor would, because a doctor is not thinking anything like that except breathing air and breathing life into a human being. That's all a doctor is thinking. He's not thinking anything. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, when a woman's getting her exam and a doctor makes a sexual comment. You just, you don't put those together, period, right. ever, because it's medical. Exactly, yeah, that's just. That's and so it's strange. medical. It's, it's nothing but medical. And, um, um, and for, uh, so basically, nothing that Dr. Murray did that day supports any action of any doctor, period, period. Even, even if he was high, drunk, out of his mind, it still is such a level of negligence. That it has to be murder. You see what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, two months. I mean, I can understand Michael being desperate for propofol. Night one, night three, night seven. You know, and you going, you know, we better get that machine, Michael. We better get that EKG machine, Mike. We better get, you know, make sure that pulseometer is in this room and hooked up. We better make sure that I have the tabs to put on your brain to monitor your brain activity. You know, and and Michael loving his children. And Michael was pretty much various. Dude, very smart when he came down to medicine and, and medical stuff. Michael read a lot. Michael's very intelligent, knew a lot of information and, and he would not allow that because really all you have to do is order it, emergency order, quick order it or send somebody the security down to go pick it up yeah. and bring it and have them deliver it. You can do overnight on things. if You, you can get anything overnight if you have enough money.
1: And Michael Jackson had plenty of money, so there wouldn't be any – He had plenty in, yeah.
0: of money when he passed because in, in November, December 2008, he had refinanced his uh, his debt, and he cashed out over $30 million. He paid a lot of debts, and, and even Dr. Tomei Tomei turned in, I think within 30, 45 days after the death announcement, $5.5 million of Michael's money. Oh, wow. So it wasn't a fact of not affording period so the level of negligence if michael jackson is dead it has to be intentional and murder in my opinion we gotta
1: spread this stuff around let's put it on the internet you're listening to banal of america audio
0: great heavens what kind of radio show is this it's like the best show ever
1: and and if if it was murder then who you know who are the guilty parties theoretically or you know speculating on that Who, who would, who would really want Michael Jackson dead? The people that would control the estate?
0: Well, let's put John Bronca, who was Michael's attorney since the 80s. And John Bronca, and Michael had a falling out in 2003, and Michael fired him. And there's a copy of the letter in the suicide book, and John Branca and John McClain are executors on the will, and there was Barry Siegel, who was also an executor on the will, but he got fired too. Anyway, Bronca was not supposed to have any of Michael's paperwork. A will, nothing, because he was fired in the letter in 2003, states, and give all my paperwork to Mr. LaGrange which was the attorney after that, then Tom Ezro got all the paperwork, and I've talked to Tom. Tom and I are friends, and Tom Mesereau, Michael's defense attorney in 2005, said that he never got the will, okay? Now, eight days before the announcement that Michael died, June 17th, John Branca meets Michael at the Great Western Forum, which is where the Lakers used to have their games, the LA Lakers, before they moved to the Staples Center. Mm-hmm. Michael was rehearsing at the Forum at that time, and John Branca came there and was rehired s- seven, eight days before the death announcement. Now, that's funny suspicious timing, but I, I go back to Michael's relationship with AEG, um, uh, the people who put on This Is It and owned the O2 Arena in London, where Michael was supposed to be doing all those uh, This Is It uh, live performances. Well, um, with the domain registrations, and you got to see the movie for the domain registrations, but anyway, uh, uh, lalive.com was registered in 1996 sex and Michael Jackson live it was registered in the year 2000 and we know the place where the regal theater opened uh, and pretty much the world's attention on this theater opened for this is it is called LA live so we have we, we have um, la com. we have la live opening up the regal theater Philip Ann Schultz who owns who owns LA Live, the O2 Arena. He owns more movie theaters than anyone else in the world. And you have LA uh, Michael Jackson Live registered in 2000 and never used for anything but to sell tickets to This Is It. So I believe... That leads me to the conclusion that John Branca helped ink this deal way back in the year 2000. John Branca, once he saw Michael's press conference March 5th, 2009, announcing this is it, was working his way to get back to Michael saying, you know, hey, I got a part of this deal. It's ironclad. No matter if you fired me or not, I'm in. And that's why John Branca made an emergency and came to the forum where Michael was rehearsing, not to an office, not when there was time, in an emergency was then if you need it done right now, then come. I'm um, at the rehearsal. You yeah. see what I mean? Yeah. And so, I do not believe that anyone at this at the time that Michael the announcement that he died really wanted him dead. People talk about the Illuminati, secret societies, but I think Michael was already uh, pretty much thought of as a joke or a child molester. His image and his his ability to make money and his ability to be a world class superstar was already diminished to where it was hard for Michael to even get anything done. Right. So I don't know exactly who would. Want Want him dead at that particular time. I don't think John Branco or Tommy Matola, who Michael had a falling out with, who was the head of C- uh, Sony at that time, uh, really wanted him dead because he was pretty much depowered at mm-hmm. that point. He wasn't like a priority. I, you know, He's So I don't know who would really want him dead.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you think maybe this meeting, this hasty, the put together meeting, was more in line with uh, the death hoax then?
0: Yes, I certainly do. <laughs> Interesting. I most certainly do.
1: So if this is a death hoax, what's the role of Conrad Murray? Because, you know, he's he's really taking it on the chin here in a big way because he, he looks just ridiculous, as you've pointed out over the course of our conversation here. So is, well, do you think he was in on it, or do you think he's like – how, he had to. He would have to have been on it, I guess, right?
0: Well, I would think so, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, certain people, things are played out. Dr. Murray, uh everybody's talking about $150 a month. Well, Dr. Murray never got a paid a penny. And why are you working for someone for two and a half months, never getting a check, and don't even have a signed contract? What is that all about? <laughs> <laughs> Please, what is that all about? So you don't even have a signed contract, Doctor Murray. You know, and, and a hospital isn't even involved because the propofol was shipped to the baby mama's house, to Nicole Alvarez's house, his girlfriend.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you got so the
0: hospital isn't even involved in the shipment of the propofol. So Dr. Murray, you know, I, I can't say exactly, you know, the whole plan and how they have it planned out, but it's planned out. And uh, we'll see what happens in the Dr. Murray trial. We will we'll see what happens.
1: Well, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think he's going to be found guilty or do you think uh, it's going to be sort of some kind of inconclusive thing?
0: Well, the, the, the missing, the, the whole thing is about reasonable doubt. And there was Propovol found in the stomach. And how did Propovol get in the stomach? And I believe that if this was, you know, some cryogenics, uh, dead body that has been made to look like Michael Jackson, um, cryogenics, there was an article on June 26th, the next day after the death announcement about Michael's body being cryogenic, you know, next to bubbles or something, and I thought, dang, already the next day, you know, you're talking <laughs> about freezing the body, my goodness. So I thought of that as a clue, and um, uh, um, and they had to get the propofol in the system some way, right, if it's a dead body, so it's easy to pour it down, you know, let it go down to the stomach. Um, so yes, there was propofol found in the stomach. Um, Dr. Murray is going to claim that Michael must have drank it, um, because how else did it get in the stomach? Um, um then there's the desperation of Michael asking doctor um nurse Sherilyn Lee for the propovol, which led, you know, investigators to investigate about propovol when she said Michael was begging her for it. Um propovol wasn't there wasn't a, a system in place to even detect Propoval in somebody's bloodstream because it's supposed to dissipate rather quickly until two thousand and eight. So there's all kinds of information that, that, that I'm just a walking Michael encyclopedia of information. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to see what happens with Dr. Murray, but the surveillance tape's missing, the, the propofol in the stomach, the possibility that he drank it, the desperation. Also on Michael's history tour or dangerous, one of the tours, there was an anesthesiologist that traveled with Michael before that and supposedly gave Michael some comparative type of pro- Propofol to put him to sleep because he had a hard time with his adrenaline level and bringing him down after he toured and he had a hard time sleeping. Also, there's other doctors who say they have given Michael Propofol, so we don't know. I mean, you know, the doctors are going to bring up reasonable doubt, all types of reasonable doubt yeah. is uh, going to be there. So we will see what happens with Dr. Murray. Now, I want to parallel um, uh, Elvis again. Bring that up. Yeah. Elvis's doctor was accused of. Uh, uh, over prescribing Elvis Presley. And uh, he his first trial was a hung jury. And the second one he was acquitted. Just to let people know if you want to keep the Elvis Michael parallel going. I cannot take a hung jury and go through this again each year. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, um, so uh, we'll, we will see what happens and then Anna Nicole, what happened with her doctor just said Dr. Murray's a good doctor and he did what he thought was best. He was acquitted in the Anna Nicole case. Uh, her psychiatrist was convicted and Howard Stern, her lawyer was convicted but Howard Stern's conviction was overturned and the psychiatrist that gave her a lot of medicines, her punishment was a $100 fine and a year probation.
1: Oh God! So yeah, so this this could, this could all end up being proverbially swept under the rug. I mean, this guy could get like a slap on the wrist or something. It, it may not even turn out. You know, he may he may walk away scot free, Conrad Murray. I mean.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, reputation I don't believe,
1: notwithstanding, of course. <laughs> I don't believe
0: that Michael Jackson is dead. I mean, there's things that happen with me as an individual um, that I, I'm going to put in suicide, too, because I'm going to write another book and probably produce another documentary as well, as far as what keeps me with a lot of confidence and what gives me strength to keep believing. And there's lots of things that happen in my life in regards to Michael Jackson personally that gives me strength to forge ahead, despite the whole world thinking he's dead.
1: Well, you can't just say that and not give me a nugget here. What what do you mean by this? (laughs) Come on, Pearl, don't do this to me. What what are these things that... that, that Keep you. Keep, are you talking about some kind of indicator that you're on the right path? That yes. That, well, give me give me something. Give me well, give me this a bite. Well, something
0: that I've already pretty much released. Okay. Um, there was a picture. See you in July. The autograph that Michael had that was released May 2009. That said, I love you, Michael Jackson. See you July 2009. And there's an arrow from the Michael Jackson signature to 2000. No, excuse me, 2011. See you 2011. And um, um, with that. Uh, it was all this controversy and stuff like that, and I know it's Michael's signature because I saw it in May 2009, and I thought, why would you sign a picture saying, see you 2011 when you're going to be doing this is it in 2009, and I found that very peculiar and b- crazy. Why would you do that, Michael? And um, then this one website had uh, said copyright claimed it and all this stuff, and um, uh, it these emails that I got in relation to that letter, the the, the picture was taken on my birthday, May sixth. Um, the, an email about that was on my daughter's birthday and then another email about that picture was on my son's birthday. And you can go to MichaelJacksonInsider.com and you can um, pretty much see the real explanation of, of the July 2011 autograph picture. And also the MJ Place, two days after I recorded the video and the day before I uploaded the video, the MJ Place, they went out of business. They shut their website down, shut their their uh, YouTube page and everything so there is a lot and there's even more but you gotta wait for suicide just can't tell it all okay okay (laughs) well what
1: well then but but I can hear the audience now uh, you know they're saying but it's it's but Pearl it's late September Twenty eleven. Nothing happened in July 2011 that, you know, so it's, it's, no, a, it's things a miss. No, it did
0: happen in July 2011. Um, the announcement of the uh, tribute concert happened in July 2011. Um, al- also, July 2011 was supposed to be the date the trial was supposed to end because it was postponed and postponed. Mm-hmm. It was The trial was supposed to end July 2011. Now, I explained that, that maybe Michael said, see you in July. And then, the, and then he meant 2011. Who knows? But he signed that, and I can guarantee you that's his signature. And he released it in May of 2009. So maybe he had to change his mind. Whatever. But I. You know, for your audience, go ahead and just watch that video. You'll see it on my website, MichaelJacksonInsider.com. Now what would happen in July 25th, 2011 was a press conference with the family, with Catherine Latoya Jackie, Tito, and Marlon, Um, all attended. And I, I, matter of fact, I'm wearing my Michael Forever T-shirt right now. I have it on because I can't wear any kind of Michael gear to the court. (laughs) 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 Um, So anybody out there who's attending the trial and you want to be allowed in the courtroom as as public, you cannot wear any kind of Michael makeup, impersonator, or pro-Michael T-shirt, or anti-Michael T-shirt, or anything. You're not allowed in the courtroom. Leave the glove Um, at home. Right, leave the love. well, or just don't bring it in the courthouse. You can come outside, you know, in front of the courthouse and do that, but you can't get in the courtroom where the jury can see you. Oh, I see, yeah, because you might Uh sway them, yeah. Yeah, so you can do it outside in front of the courthouse all day long. Um, Now, um, what happened that day was they announced the Michael Forever Tribute Concert, and it's to be held October 8th in Cardiff, Wales. Now October 8th is a really important date. That's the same date of the Elvis tribute. There was an Elvis tribute October 8th, 1994, in which Michael and Janet, Lisa Marie, who was Michael's wife at the time, and Priscilla, Elvis' ex-wife, was all there, attended. Mm-hmm. And so that matches up along with the Elvis death hoax and Cardiff. Cardiff, Wales is a place where Michael has performed before. It's this huge stadium, 75,000 seats. But Cardiff is also the name of a hoax. The biggest hoax in U.S. history was in Cardiff, New York, and it was about a 10-foot dead body that many people thought was real, and even four doctors had confirmed that this dead body was a real dead body. And the the hoax became so famous that even the Mr. Showman himself, P.T. Barnum, who Michael just loved and thought, he was just the greatest showman on earth, uh, even copied the hoax. Okay? So, so what we get in July, uh, 2011 are all these huge clues. Now, Catherine had already did a Michael, for, uh, Forever Michael, uh, event in which they asked me to help promote it back in June 2010. So now they're calling it, uh, Michael Forever. So, Those were the big clues that Michael gave us in July, like, sorry, I couldn't make it, but here you go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, we'll we'll sort of – we'll get closer here as we get to the end. We'll get to sort of what the future might bring. But you also introduced the idea in the film that this death hoax was part of an FBI sting operation or some kind of investigation maybe by the (sighs) government because that raises – because when you're talking about the death hoax – and I know you say in the film that it's actually not illegal to fake your own death unless you – break some laws doing it or something right. like that. But it would stand to reason that if Michael Jackson faked his death, that, I mean, I don't know, I guess the question is, there's a lot of questions bundled into my rant right now. So, so to, I'll, I'll, I'll try and unwrap them. But how many people could really be in the know on this? I mean, this sounds like quite an extensive operation. And maybe, as you say, if it was an FBI operation, that would help keep it under wraps. So, I mean, I guess just talk to what I'm the line of thinking I'm throwing out there.
0: Yeah, well, Marlon, Michael's brother, who is the closest to age than any other sibling, Marlon, uh, he was wearing an FBI hat the next day. (laughs) Why is Marlon wearing an FBI hat? You know, what is that all about? June 26th, Marlon's outside of the Havenhurst Mansion wearing an FBI hat. Then the same outfit that Marlon has on in the car where his brother Randy is driving him, and because Marlon lives in Georgia, Randy is driving him, and apparently they go to the taping of the, their miniseries, I mean their reality show, Jackson Family Dynasty, Okay, because Marlon's wearing the doggone FBI hat in the doggone reality show! What is that all about? Now the Jacksons are very savvy. Okay, they don't, they know wardrobe. They know images. They know perception. I mean, they've been in the business for 40-something years. They're very astute on what to wear and not to wear. And if Marlon is wearing an FBI hat, there should be a reason behind that. Yeah. Um, so we have that, which led the fans into believing. And then the FBI releases um, uh, the trans- – the, the, they investigated Michael for 13 years on child molestation mm-hmm. and found nothing. The FBI found nothing on Michael in 13 years that they investigated him. Well, Brian Oxman said um, after the announcement that Michael died, who was the family attorney, uh, told uh, claimed fr- the Freedom of Information Act and told the FBI to release the pages. Well, they released all these pages clearing Michael Jackson of child molestation, and in those pages is the confirmation that Michael's middle name is Joe. Now, when you went to the FBI website, it had a page, and they named him Michael Joseph Jackson. And on the page what
1: the heck weird yeah very strange pearl this is all very strange
0: it's all very 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 strange and you got to remember the police are the one that erased the surveillance tape only thing that they have is four minutes of michael arriving home about midnight 12 12 30 a.m early morning of June 25th, going in the house. They erased the rest of the tape for the rest of So we don't know who all went in that house that night. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, and that's the police. Now, another thing I have to say. Mm-hmm. There is a picture um, that's, that's um, well, it's on my TwitPix picture, uh, but it's a picture. And it's the memorial. And the memorial was held on July 7th. And um, in that picture is a picture of Magic Johnson, Randy Phillips of AEG, two of the EMT, can you imagine that? Two of the EMT officers, the paramedics, are in this picture with the producer, Ken Ehrlich, smiling, oh, and the police chief. Huh. Why are they in the picture smiling as if they saved his life? Yeah. And then the LA police chief, you know, he resigned, uh, shockingly, uh, you know, resigned a few months after the death announcement that Michael had died. And why was the coroner in the third row of the memorial? The coroner attended the memorial.
1: Could it be one of those I'm gonna play devil's advocate again, Pearl, but just forgive me. Uh, could it be just one of those things where the family appreciates what they tried to do, so they want the them corner, to be there. The
0: coroner the corner has nothing to do with live or dead. He doesn't get yeah. the body till it's dead dead. That's true. You know, so I mean you can play devil's advocate, but you start stacking all this stuff up. Like I said, I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim. I did the same thing.
1: Absolutely. I, don't, don't. Please don't take it as I'm, you know. I, no,
0: I get it. I did the same thing. I excused so much for eight months. For eight months, I excused everything until I just couldn't do it anymore. And then yeah. when I really dug deep into that, it was a, the most incredible story ever told and I was going to tell it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I commend you for that, for sure. Now, you sort of introduced the idea in the film that Maybe that Michael had used some kind of fake body because, uh, you know, I guess, I guess the, the, the greater picture of all this or the greater question behind all this is sort of – I'm sure you've contemplated this. I guess take me through how Michael would actually do this because – Well, the
0: easiest thing is just replace the body. Yeah. That's the easiest thing. That's the, and then there it was real hot up in his room, and people think that the body was still too cold, you know, so they wanted to raise the temperature. Um, so the easiest way for Michael to pull off a death hoax would not be to have a whole bunch of people involved, is just to switch out the body, because you have one EMT guy who deals with dead people saying under oath, S-E-N-N-E-F-F, he says that he thought that the patient was an old man. A hospice cancer patient. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, we saw Michael, you know, 12 hours before, and this is it. Performing. And he didn't look like a deathbed hospice cancer patient. And this comes from someone who deals with dead people. Mm-hmm. You know? So, and then you have the coroner saying that the body was in general good health. You know, so it's just all a mystery. But the easiest way that that, that this could be done is that night, Michael had it all planned, and he just switched out the bodies. Boom. And it's easy from that point because the body goes through all the channels it's supposed to go through.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he sort of greases the wheels with money to make sure that the right people who may – No, the
0: body is the body, you know. You know, the body's the body. They can do what they can do, whatever they do normally.
1: And they wouldn't check; it would have to kind of look like him, though, right? I mean, you couldn't just substitute like just you know some old dude with a beard, like a white, you know, like a Santa Claus looking guy or something. No, no, it had to be um,
0: it had to be a body double, something that looked like Michael. Of course, it had to have some kind of resemblance to Michael. And that's the only way that I, I could come up with to make it all simple. Or there's a whole bunch of people involved.
1: Right. And if there were a whole bunch of people involved, chances are this would have fallen apart by now.
0: Well, unless it's the sting operation with the FBI again.
1: Yeah. And what would the FBI – they would be sort of looking into people who would want to take out Michael Jackson.
0: Take him out, right. And Michael said that there were people after him that wanted to take him out. And I, for one, I think it was in 2006, I had called the FBI and lodged a complaint against a petition that called for people to kill Michael Jackson. So I called the FBI and lodged a complaint against that petition myself.
1: Or was this like stemming from the from the child molestation yes. accusations and stuff? Yes. Oh, people are strange. Yes.
0: yes. hmm Weird. So who knows? I, I have you know, it, the story has not been fully told yet. But these are the things that make any logical person say, hmm,
1: Absolutely. Yeah, well it made me say that because I was just stunned as I as the movie unfolded. So I I commend you. Now, where okay, so we're going to operate within the realm that Michael Jackson has has faked his death here and uh we'll leave the skeptical part behind. Now, where then where is he now? What is he doing and 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 you know what is his agenda, I guess you'd say?
0: I guess he has a plan, and he's going to, you know, execute the plan. And also, uh, Michael could be anywhere. I mean, Michael is a master of disguise. He's an absolute master of disguise. Jermaine has a picture of Michael in disguise um, in his new latest book. Um, it, I found it very odd that at the memorial, July 7, 2009, that when Marlin got up and talked about his brother, he talked about Michael in disguise. I thought that was very odd. And uh, so Michael is a master of disguise. He could be anywhere. He could be at the courthouse tomorrow.
1: Yeah. Well, you do. You mentioned that in the film that there's a couple of instances in the in the media fallout from the from the Michael Jackson death where there are some mysterious characters. Mm-hmm. I presume you have not identified them. Well, one of them uh, is you, you suggest possibly that Michael Jackson was in disguise as, as on Larry King as a burn victim, which I thought right. was you know
0: Dave, Dave. Yes. strange
1: mm-hmm. and amazing. And and I mean I don't you know and that takes it, it, we're already talking to really. You know, forgive me, uh, Pearl, but that, we're talking a really ballsy move here to fake your own death and, and then then to appear on Larry King live in disguise in, in well, the, it's in a the ballsy, aftermath. Well, it's a
0: ballsy move for a little black kid, a little black family to think that they can be the most world-famous entertainment family in the history and one of them would be the biggest superstar in the world. That's ballsy, too. Absolutely. But it happened. <laughs> It happened, okay. So you're talking about people's lives who have turned straw into gold. You're talking about Michael, who really has, you know, thick skin, who has been through hell and back in the media, who who would do something like this. Yeah,
1: that actually, now that you say that, that stands to reason in a way because he would kind of get the ultimate, um, you know, response or, or or tweak against the media who really vilified him for all these years to, to fake his death and then and then to sort of screw him in, in a way, you know, to say, "Ha ha, I got you back." You know what I mean? And I can That's see exactly the right. Motivation That's exactly
0: right. Mm hmm. That's exactly right. And then you have Lou Ferrigno, you know, in interviews right after uh, the announcement that Michael died, saying, uh, "Michael used to put dummies in ambulances and ha ha ha, and love pranks." And you're like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, we've we've touched on a whole bunch of different clues, but I feel like we maybe might be missing some. I mean, what other sort of like big clues stand out that 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 make that that we can use here to to sort of sway any audience members that are on the fence.
0: Well, I think that now is the time to tell the listeners that they gotta watch the movie. Absolutely, yeah, Michael absolutely. Jackson really did, because there was so much information here, and they need to brush up on it and hear it in context and hear it very, uh, um, in, in, in a way in which I, I tried to make it as chronological as I possibly could. And then also the e the movie book, "Suicide: That Michael Jackson Fake His Death to Save His Life." I, I have a patent pending on that book because that's the one and only book where you. You can read and watch movies at the same time because what happened when I was writing the book I wanted to show everybody proof and evidence of what I'm saying and so there the book is filled with links so as long as you download the book to any computer device that has an internet connection you can read the book and when a link comes you can click it and believe me when I published the book May 2010 all the links worked but some of them may work may not maybe move but most of them still work and so you, you you can watch and read at the same time. So with the e-movie book, I, I would suggest to, to go ahead. We've given you so much information here and, and hear the rest of the story.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nice plug there. I like that. <laughs> You're, good. You're good, Pearl. Now, you, you do say in the movie that it's not illegal to fake your own death unless you break some laws doing it right. or do some fraudulent uh, stuff with insurance. But I feel like... If if the death hoax is as we've laid it out here, there had to be there has to be some kind of illegality involved. I mean, you can't be running around with a with a with a fake dead with with a dead body that you know. He, I,
0: you know, I don't know the laws. I'm yeah. not a lawyer, an attorney, but I'm sure Michael has them, and I'm sure they've looked everything up, and I'm sure that they've crossed eyes and dotted t's. And some 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 uh, illegal activities just re- just are fines. You can. Like Casey Anthony, for example, she was acquitted of all uh, criminal charges, but they made her pay for the court costs. Right, They are going to make her pay for the court costs. So maybe Michael, you know, if he has to pay for the Conrad Murray trial, not a problem. You know, and he has lawyers to help him out. Now, there is a a, a series on, I think it's Discovery Channel, and there's a series now called I Faked My Own Death. It's a TV show. Oh, wow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because I was going to say, you rarely ever hear about people who fake their own death. It's, Isn't it's
0: that weird timing? Strange. There's a, and I watched the series the other day. There was even a black guy that got burned and mentioned Michael Jackson. And he, when the law finally found out he faked his death, since he did it to save his life, he was not punished.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Yes. So are you of the belief that we're going to see a Michael Jackson comeback? I hope so. Okay, that didn't sound very definitive though. I mean obviously it's out of well, your hands. I hope
0: hands, so. <laughs> I hope so. I mean I'm giving facts. It's 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 left up to people to, you know, um, draw their own conclusions. What I try to do is just tell you what's out there, tell you the information that's out there and leave people free enough to have draw their own conclusions on based on information and facts and as much information as possible.
1: Okay, but I'm gonna go back to this now still. I feel like this I feel like this story this, this death hoax, it, uh, if Michael Jackson faked his own death, it stands to reason that he has to come back. I, that's just how I feel. I mean, just, it, it, I mean, I can understand why he'd want to leave and, and disappear and get out of the limelight and everything, but at the same time, his, ostensibly he can't really visit his family or maybe he can sort of sneak and visit them, but it's like, I feel like he would be compelled to come back given his, the, his nature, the nature of his personality.
0: Absolutely. Michael loves to be loved. And um, with Michael loving to be loved, it will bring him back. And I don't think he left all these clues not to come back, you know. And I'm hoping that in his heart of hearts he will come back and shock the world because that's what the Jacksons do. He is the greatest entertainer that's ever lived.
1: It's hard to prove a negative, but is there anything that could convince you that he is dead?
0: Um... Undo all these facts. (laughs) Undo all these facts, perhaps, you know. Um, There will come a time where it's it's not as important to me um, if Michael faked his death or did not fake his death. It is what it is at one point. But I'm hoping we're all on the right track. I mean, Michael's fans are very diligent, and I didn't discover all these um, all these clues, Michael's fan, there's a whole death hoax community out there that searches for uh, clues, finds them, discusses them, verifies, and double checks them. So Michael's fans really deserve, and that's why you, you see over 200 credits and at the end of Suicide and in, and um, and also in uh, Alive, because those are the fans that have contributed their hard work, and I'm telling you, they, they have been absolutely excellent in their investigation.
1: Right, right. Right. Well, this is the kind of story, too, that, you know, if we're sitting here 10 years after the death of Michael Jackson and he still hasn't made his comeback in 20 years, 30 years, at some point you you kind of have to wonder it, it, what really happened there. Maybe he didn't fake his death. That's the, that's the sort of thing that would convince me, I guess you'd say. Absolutely. Yeah, time will tell. Yeah.
0: Time will tell. Time will tell. But right now it's definitely not over because tomorrow is the start of the trial you know, the Conrad Murray trial starts, so it's definitely not, it's not throwing the towel time yet.
1: And do you expect a lot of information, obviously there's going to be a lot of information that comes out in the trial, you, you, I have a feeling you're going to have your eyes peeled for inconsistencies that will help, you know, massage this death hoax story.
0: Yes, I will be releasing videos on YouTube. I will be doing live updates on my Twitter account and Facebook, and um, also on my website, MichaelJacksonInsider.com.
1: Okay, what's the Twitter uh, feed?
0: Um, the Twitter Twitter.com, and it's. At Pearl Jr. P E A R L J R.
1: Okay, and Pearl Junior. Also, and I bought a new
0: Facebook. tablet to make sure that I'm good. I'll be able to tweet right from the actual courthouse, not the courtroom. We're not allowed to do it from the courtroom.
1: Okay, but that's The courthouse, that. yes. Yeah. All right. So you'll be you'll be providing us with information on on the situation as it unfolds. Because right, uh, and also you got to
0: remember that um, it will be televised as well.
1: Oh, okay. So we can look for you in the audience.
0: I should, do, if the audience comes my way, I'll be there.
1: Oh, excellent! Now,
0: if the camera comes my way, I'll be there. I get to
1: I got <laughs> to bring it back, I guess, to the to just the the critics, the skeptics, the doubters, you know. And and I appreciate all 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 that you've given us here tonight. And obviously, I appreciate all the listeners who stuck through this interview and and really with an open mind. What do you say? And what does the death hoax community say to you know the skeptics who say? And I don't mean you personally, Pearl. This isn't an attack. This isn't a pejorative uh, thing. This is, you know, just a, just a psychological type of thing. You know, that, that all you guys in the death hoax community, you just can't let him go. You just can't let Michael rest in peace and that you have to accept the fact that he's dead. Like, I'm sure you've heard this argument before. Oh, so, like,
0: plenty of times.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is your response to them?
0: You don't know what I know.
1: All right. I like that. Okay.
0: It's really that simple.
1: Well, that's true, in a sense. It stands to reason, because a lot of people, they watch the news, and then they don't really, you know, they accept what they see on the news. They're not going to go follow the story here that maybe Michael Jackson faked his death. Plus, people have been conditioned to not believe that kind of story via the Elvis stuff. Right, they've
0: been conditioned to not believe it, absolutely, because Elvis never came back. Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly. So, all right. And that
0: makes it even more genius on the behalf of Michael Jackson.
1: How long do you think he was planning this?
0: I think um well the first um 1994 is, is uh the first time that it, in print it says Michael Jackson plans to fake his own death. And that happens to be the same year that Michael attended the Lisa Mer- attended the Elvis tribute in 1994. So I believe it goes back to 94 and I also believe that uh he planned on doing it around the year 2000 too because of the Invincible album and you hear him saying uh I'm unbreakable, I'm still here. Heaven can wait. So, with the Invincible album, I do believe that Michael had planned on faking his own death with Invincible because of, you, you listen to the songs and even the word Invincible as well. And um, and also that's the time that with the Rabbi Smolik. Tapes, the Michael Jackson tapes, and he did that, um, that uh, book at that time, the audio book that didn't come out that Rabbi Smooley didn't release until um, after the announcement that Michael died. So I believe that this has been a plan of his for many, many years, but he had to make sure that he wasn't wanted by the police because, you know, he had two big big things that happened in his life. So after the um, allegations in 2003, I think it really prolonged him doing the death hoax back then.
1: Now, what about, you know, Michael Jackson clearly loved his children. Wouldn't Why, you know?
0: I believe they know, of course.
1: I, I presume, okay, well, I presume they do know, obviously, you know. I, yeah, because those
0: I, kids sure did bounce back quick, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, that's the thing i mean i I guess it would stand a reason then that if, if, if he faked his death that he still maintains contact with them because that would be that would break a father's heart to 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 walk out on their children like that no as, he, you know.
0: he, he, the, the kids would know. Yes, and and even with the Twitter, you know, there's little clues that happen from family members with their, their Twitter accounts and stuff like that. So of course the kids are all, you know, like moving right along. Daddy's dead, but moving right along, you know. Um, so I, I I definitely believe the kids not only were um, uh, know about it, but they were prepared. Interesting. And they and they, and, and they were um, um, they were prepared for this.
1: Well, it is. It's. I find it strange too. Um... You know, and this this probably goes beyond the death hoax, but just that for all these years of the children growing up, they were like completely sheltered from the media and everything. And now that Michael Jackson is ostensibly or allegedly dead, you know, it's like there's no barrier, no protection for these kids. And and you know, it was like to me watching the Michael Jackson memorial. Obviously, the most Stunning and heartbreaking moment was, uh, when his daughter started talking, because it was like, it's, you know, you're, you're hearing from someone who really we had never, ever heard from before. It was, that to me was just like something very bizarre and stunning and, and just, uh, overwhelming. Until
0: you'd learned that she had an earpiece. <laughs>
1: Oh, she had an earpiece. But she
0: had an earpiece in her ear, and that when you really look at it, you know, um, the tears really didn't fall. Of course, my heart was broken just like the world's heart was broken when she did that. I was under the impression that not only did she lose a daddy, but I lost, you know, somebody that I've been in love with since I was a child, mm-hmm. you know, um, as, you know, a fantasy love, you know, my idol, my, you know, the, you know, um, my superstar as well, that I shared her pain at that time, and um, then you know, Joe. You know, week after the the memorial, Joe said, "Yeah, Paris wants to be an actress."
1: <laughs> Very interesting. There you have it. Again, this one also kind of goes beyond the death hoax. But uh, as you you know, you're saying here that you know Michael Jackson was your superstar, and, and obviously you loved all his work and everything. And I, I have a good friend who is in the same position. He, you know, is a huge Michael Jackson fan. We were kind of talking about this. I just want to get your sort of take on this. It, it, It's sort of like a double-edged sword in a way since the death or alleged death of Michael Jackson that so much new material has come out and he's really sort of, his reputation has been restored yeah. and it's sort of like a bittersweet situation. So whoever
0: killed him didn't do a good job of destroying him, did he? <laughs>
1: Well, theoretically, wouldn't the, the people that wanted to kill him? this is exactly what they wanted, to re- rebuild the reputation so they could milk it like Marilyn Monroe and Elvis and everybody else. But the so. only
0: people that are really getting paid, you know, really are, you know, the Jackson estate, which is a living estate, by the way. Um, they're the ones that's making all the money. You know, you got two executors, McLean and John McLean, and John Branca, and you have Catherine and the children. And um, then other people would make money off of Michael Sony's back, you know, recording for Sony, Circus Soleil. All these ideas that Michael had that he couldn't get done when he was living are now become, be, getting done now.
1: Right, right. You
0: know? So um, I think that uh, – I think it's worked magnificently. You know, the death hoax of Michael Jackson has been a tremendous success.
1: And, and like, the, to, to get back to sort of the question I had, just as a fan, how does that make you feel to see – him vindicated, you know, and back on top, and it, but at the same time he's he's ostensibly gone. Do you know what I mean? How's that feel? Bittersweet or or what?
0: Bittersweet, absolutely. It's definitely bittersweet. sweet. Mhm. Because I miss Michael Jackson. I was a fan of Michael Jackson, but of course you, you, you grow up, you fall in love, you get married, you have your own children, you have your own life, you have real life loves, you know. Yeah. And Michael just becomes kind of a a memory of love, a childhood crush type of thing. Um, um, not reality. So, um, when I went into that 2005 trial, I wasn't a current f- fan of Michael. I wasn't currently obsessed with Michael. You know, I was just kind of going because someone asked me to go and then I ended up, you know, learning the truth and, and really changing the direction of my life to be an activist for his, for justice for him. And um, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan who, I mean, who, who, who can say on this earth that they never liked or danced or sung to one of Michael Jackson's songs? You know, most people have been a fan of his, one way or the other, music, song, dance, video, the person, the man, the humanitarian, or whatever. So I'm not alone in, in at one point, being a huge, huge fan of Michael Jackson's.
1: No, no, absolutely not. I mean, mm-hmm. he was popular all over the world.
0: Yeah, but I'm also honest and fair, and I'm also a mother, and there's no way on heaven's earth that I would um, defend someone who I thought was guilty of molesting a child. There's just no way.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: There's just, there's just no way. I, you could be Jesus Christ, and if you were wrong, you're wrong, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, like I said earlier at the start of the interview, it just, uh, it all seems, to again, to go back to sort of that bittersweet, Uh, Emotion, It just – you know, you see – it's just like sort of galling in a way to see the mainstream media at – now they're sort of like telling a more fair story about the trial and everything else. It's like they (laughs) – you know, it's like where was all this fair perspective when when the trial was happening? It, it absolutely,
0: it wasn't absolutely, it wasn't fair at all. It was, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a lynching of a guy and his reputation, and they didn't care about his children then. You know.
1: Yeah, it's it's
0: unfortunate. It was unfortunate. Yes.
1: Well, I think you've done a fantastic job here laying out the uh, the Michael Jackson death hoax case, and of course. There's so much more in the film. Alive, is Michael Jackson really dead? And, of course, the e-movie book, Pseudocide, did Michael Jackson fake his death to save his life? You've teased us with some uh, future stuff. So what do you have in the till? What do you have, cooking? I know you're obviously heading out to the uh, Conrad Murray trial starting tomorrow. But, you know, what kind of stuff can people look forward to from Pearl
0: Jr.? Well, please just log on to MichaelJacksonInsider.com and, and there's other stuff on there. There's a lot of more videos on there. So if you're in a Michael, uh, fanatical state, there's a lot of new, surprising, shocking information that is on that website. And I, I do, I have been preparing and keeping up with my notes to write Suicide 2. And I will do that and then we may follow it up with another documentary.
1: Sounds good. Well, I hope if Michael Jackson comes back, that you get the credit you deserve, and that uh, he brings you up on stage, maybe on that big return concert, and give so me we can a big,
0: huge, huge, huge hug.
1: There you go. Exactly. <laughs> well, on that note, Pearl, I can't thank you enough here for coming on the show. I appreciate your open-mindedness and allowing me to sort of take the skeptic's route at times, just so you know we could really bolster this case as best as possible. And I appreciate you giving us so much time and really laying out the details of this death hoax theory. Like I said, I first saw the movie and was like, what is this? This is, you know, I can't believe someone has this opinion. And then having watched the movie, it really uh, gave me a lot of food for thought. And I'll I'll be uh, keeping an eye on this whole Michael Jackson story over the years and seeing how it develops. And quite frankly, at this point, I would not be surprised if Michael Jackson just popped up out of nowhere and, and made some big comeback in the next few years. Uh, it, it, it does not fall beyond the realm of possibility in my mind, and and that's thanks to your outstanding work and the work of the folks in the Death Hoax community as well. We can't forget them. So thanks again for coming on the show, Pearl.
0: Thank you so much.
1: That does it for this edition of BOA Audio Season 6. Big, big thanks to Pearl Jr. for coming on the show. Check out our website, www.michaeljacksoninsider.com. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio listener feedback, and we got one long one, two short ones, one's a response, and I want to do a plug before I get into that. So a lot to talk about here. I want to plug an upcoming appearance, I'll be on Paul Eno's Behind the Paranormal this coming Sunday, October 16th from 7 to 8 p.m., and you can find out more about that at BehindTheParanormal.com. Now let's dive on into the BOA Audio Listener Feedback Mailbag. The first one comes from Julie, no hometown listed, but residing in Massachusetts. Here's what she has to say. I am a huge fan. I wanted to write to you because I think you are really good and deserve encouragement. My husband and I are also Massachusetts in your age range who like to ponder what you call the esoteric. I especially have been obsessed since birth with UFOs, abductions, mutilations, etc., and everything that my dad would call the occult. In addition to this, we also really like beer. So there you have it. The only thing I don't like about your show is that there aren't more of them. You are polite and considerate of the guests, but you don't kiss their asses, and you aren't afraid to ask questions. You actually seem to listen to your guests, which makes for entertaining conversation. Keep going with your own flow. I'm trying to write a book myself on Cape Cod and its mysteries. Maybe you'll interview me someday. I don't know if anyone's written a book about it yet, but have you heard of the case of Ursula and Sabina Erickson? Very interesting shit. It would make for a good show. Tie it into the super soldier thing or mind control or something. Anyway, thanks for all the wonderful hours of entertainment. Julie, no hometown listed, but residing in Massachusetts. Thank you for writing in, Julie. One of the reasons why I picked out this email is because it's kind of strange. we get got two husband and wife emailers over the last couple of episodes. I don't know what it says about BOA Audio, but I guess it means that we are family entertainment. Um, yeah, like I said, thank you for writing in, Julie. I would be psyched to uh, meet up sometime with you and your husband, grab a beer, and talk the esoteric. I'm always happy to meet folks who listen to the program and live within range of BOA HQ. Thank you for your very, very kind words about the program and my style I have not heard of Ursula and Sabina Erickson and their story, but I will definitely check it out. Sounds very, very weird. And finally, of course, Julie, best of luck with the book on Cape Cod and its mysteries. Keep us posted, and once things get rolling, I would be happy to have you on BOA Audio. Next email is a short one. Comes from Brock. No hometown listed. Here's what he has to say. Or... Should I say ask? He wants to know, do you guys have an email newsletter letting people know what audio shows are coming up? Be of good cheer, Brock. No, Brock, unfortunately I do not have an email newsletter letting people know about upcoming shows. Part of that is just because this entire operation is haphazard at best. So adding the additional stress and strain of a newsletter would be a huge problem for me and something that quite honestly would get easily forgotten by me over the course of about a month so no no newsletters from us just stay tuned to binallofamerica.com, of b-i-n-n-a-l-l of america.com for updates on future editions of boi audio or stick around to the end of the program where we give a pretty lengthy preview of the next edition of the show and read emails from folks like you Final email is a response to the end of last week's program. It comes from John in China, also known as The Meanie. Folks who tuned in last week will remember that John wrote a very dastardly email criticizing me for the lack of programs in September, and I flailed at him at the end of the show. Well, he wrote back this week in response. He says, Touche. At least the drought ended with a good hard rain. Keep up the great work. John in China also known as The Meanie. Thank you for responding, John. It's good to know you have a sense of humor about things. I was sort of just poking at you at the end of the show last week, and it's good to know that you're not flipping out that I chastised you at the end of the program. Best of luck over there in China. Hope everything's working out for you there, pal, and uh, I'll keep an eye out for the invading armies. Maybe there'll be a BOA Audio fan in the midst named John. Those are the emails here this week for BOA Audio Listener Feedback. Try to keep it a little short this time around. want to give a shout out to Mary in Seattle, who sent a very long email about spontaneous human combustion. I want to read that very badly, but I'm not going to do it this week here on the show. So we'll tackle that next week. That might be a standalone email for BOA Audio Listener Feedback, because it's about Six paragraphs long, but very well written and very thoughtful. So I want to get to that next time on BOA Audio listener feedback. Mary in Seattle, sit tight. Your missive has been heard. And next week it will be read. But what about all the other folks out there who want to correspond with me and send me some emails and thoughts on BOA Audio as well as Banal of America? That's simple. There are a number of ways to get in touch with me. You can write to BOAAudio at Hotmail.com or go to BinaleofAmerica.com, B I N N A L L of America.com, and click the contact button. And of course, the final method is to join up at the official BOA Forum, the USOFE.com, T H E U S O F E.com. And if you can't tie together all those letters, head on over to B O A and click the forum button. want to mention that there is a very spirited and lengthy conversation going on at the BOA forum between a variety of members who tuned in to last week's Butch Witkowski episode and have had a lot to say about the end of that program. So, if you're interested in the Butch Witkowski controversy, head on over to BOA's Paranormal Playground, theusofe.com. Because the conversation continues there. And I also should mention here, since I'm calling for the usual correspondences, if that's even a word, from the BOA audio listeners, that I have really fallen behind on the inbox, but I'm gonna tackle that stuff this week and start getting back to folks. Some people I read their emails on the show, I don't even write back to them, let them know that I got their emails. So I gotta send emails to those folks. I gotta get in touch with all the people who've been writing me. Over the last six weeks or so. I've read all your emails. Trust me. I just have not had the time to respond. And I'm going to get back to you guys. Post haste. I promise. And the final plug here. For getting in touch with us. That of course is the social networks. Facebook and Twitter. Head on over there. Punch in Banal. B-I-N-N-A-L-L. That will bring up my profile. Feel free to befriend me. Follow me or poke me. We'd be happy to have you as part of our online circle of friends now if you'll indulge me please sit back while i thank the outstanding and esteemed boa staff leslie Chiron, regan lee joe v tina senna rachelle hawks richard thomas marla peña bruce pretty tony Morrill, our contributing cartoonist andy carolin and our webmaster jeremy boston we say it all the time here at the end of the program, but it is the truth, my friends. If you're only listening to BOA Audio and you're not reading the columns at Been All of America, then you're only getting half of the story. BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Now comes the time in the program where I finish my proverbial song to a light smattering of applause and then gesture hungrily towards my guitar case and ask you to throw some change in the bucket. I think I mixed like eight metaphors there. But the point is now is the time in the program where I ask you to make a donation to BOA and BOA Audio. How do you do that? That's simple. You can go to banalofamerica.com and click the PayPal button. That will bring you through to the PayPal website. It's very secure, and they will walk you through the process on making a donation. But I know there are a lot of folks out there who don't trust the Internet, and they just want to make donations via snail mail. That is also an option here. You can mail your donation to Tim Benall, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass. 01866. And you spell Pinehurst, P-I-N-E-H-U-R-S-T. So altogether, it's Tim Benall, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass. 01866. And if you're making a snail mail donation to the P.O. Box, all we ask is that you make your donation payable. To Tim Benal and not Benal of America because my bank is anal and they will not cash those checks. And of course, please include an email address so I can shoot you a line and say thank you for your donation. Wrapping up the donation aspect of the program, as always, I feel I need to stress no donation is too small, and all donations go towards Benal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise up and running freely available and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. Next time on BOA Audio, we've got both a heartbreaking and heartwarming edition of the program with our guest, Dr. Greg Corbin, author of Beyond Reason, Lessons from the Loss of a Gifted Child. Greg is going to share the story of his son, Brian, who shortly before his ninth birthday revealed to his family that he believed he would not live to see double digits. Early, Brian's prediction proved correct when he died months later. Greg is going to recount the myriad of clues and knowing behavior exhibited by Brian leading to his death, as well as the series of strange incidents following the tragedy, which indicate a stunning self-awareness possessed by Brian with regards to his impending death. We're also going to talk about other children who have predicted their death and how the phenomenon is chillingly pervasive. It is an episode of BOA Audio that may have you reaching for the tissues and will certainly have you very spooked out. That's next time on BOA Audio. And on that note, we close the book on this installment. Big, big thanks once again to Pearl Jr. for coming on the show. Thanks again to Julie, Brock, and Jim for contributing to To BOA Audio listener feedback. And last but certainly not least, I want to thank you folks out there, the hardcore BOA Audio listeners. You guys are the best. I'm trying to tighten the reins here a little bit on the program, trying to come at you around every 10 days or so. We're looking at the finish line here of season six. I'm going to have more information on that in a couple of weeks. It's been a wild season. I wouldn't trade it for anything because of the content this year has been just stunning and stellar, in my opinion, and I hope you've been enjoying the ride. This program would not continue without your support and encouragement, so thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you guys do for BOA. It is not lost on me, it is not forgotten, and it is certainly not overlooked. Thank you for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. And until next time, this is Tim Benall signing off.